Hello everyone, this is Tom Uren and I'm here with the Gruck for our weekly Between Two Nerds discussion. G'day Gruck, how are you? G'day Tom. This week's episode is brought to you by Proofpoint and I have an interview with Proofpoint's Selena Larson all about the state of the e-crime ecosystem out on this channel this week, so be sure to catch that. I'd also like to thank the Hewlett Foundation's Cyber Initiative for their support. So Gruck, this week you sent me a tweet thread between Chris Rolfe and JD Work, so people who comment about cyber things. Two smart guys, yep. And it seemed like a good thread that examines the success or lack of success in offensive action against particularly ransomware gangs. Mm -hmm. So we've done podcasts talking about offensive cyber actions, which is, in, in my definition, that's things which disrupt, deny, degrade. And we've... Discompobulate, demonstrate, you know. <laughs> yep. And we've had a whole podcast about why it's probably a good idea to use those kinds of actions against cyber criminals. Right. But as with many things, it's not a black and white answer. So why don't you take it away and... Yeah, look, so just to sort of get everyone up to speed, why don't I summarize the discussion that we're going at? So this starts out with Virus Underground saying, while everyone's looking at the MGM attack, there's been a, a whole list of other incidents that have happened. And so Chris takes that as an opportunity to discuss uh, his views on offensive cyber against ransomware operators. Uh, in particular, he points out, and I, I'm not sure who he's talking about here, but he says that there are people who have said that offensive cyber will solve ransomware. And his point is that, one, it's not that easy. It's not going to, like, it won't. And two, like, this is an economics problem. It's enabled by technology, and you cannot deter or detect your way out of it. And, you know, I think he's right, but he's, it's incomplete to leave it at that. Well, I mean, really, the only thing I disagree with is I've not heard of anyone who thinks that taking offensive cyber actions would put an end to ransomware. Right. So I... Like the rest, I think, is right. I think it's mm -hmm. not so much an end to the problem so much as doing something about it and trying to mitigate it to some degree. And I think... So just to, to push back ever so slightly, are, are you suggest this is a something must be done, this is something, therefore... Okay, okay. like I'll, I'll, I'll lay out my arguments for it. Mm -hmm. So sort of stepping back, part of the problem is that many of the actors are in countries where law enforcement actions don't work. Mm -hmm. So normally, in a criminal situation, you use your police forces. <laughs> That's what they do. That's what they're good for. Um, in this case, it doesn't work. So do we have any other forces that could possibly have any impact on those groups? And yes, we do. They're mm -hmm. offensive cyber operation um, agencies that can operate overseas. Now, offensive cyber isn't that good. <laughs> in, in, like, you're not going to stop people dead in their tracks. It doesn't kill them. It just right. makes life annoying for them. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's going to stop it, but I think you've got a tool that can work against it. Now, my second mm -hmm reason for thinking it's worth doing is that on the internet in general it's very very common that you've got a small number of people who are responsible for a lot of the harm mm -hmm. like there seems to be this power law distribution that 
in the internet is very, very common. So, you know, 5% mm. of commenters are leaving 95% of comments. Yeah. And so I think if you can find the key ransomware groups mm-hmm. that are causing most of the problem, it, seemed, it just makes sense to me that you target them and try and reduce it. Will that make ransomware go away? No. But you right. hopefully will slow them down, make it more difficult. And so right. I, I think it's kind of like crime in general, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of crime is partly to do with economics, but that doesn't mean we don't also have police. There's sort of multifaceted right. problems where you have many layers of solutions. Right. And I, I think uh, speaking to that is that all of the consolidation in the ransomware space makes it more vulnerable to offensive cyber because the more centralized it is and the fewer threat actors that you need to target, the more you can impact with offensive cyber. Like instead of having 500 groups, there's less than 20 Right, and that's actually a, a tractable number. And if, again, there's a distribution of like, there's a few really big ones and then a bunch of small ones. If you can hit those really big ones and slow them down, you're impacting the majority of yeah, yeah. operations. Yeah, you, know? you have a disproportionate impact. And I think from a government point of view, you can sell that. You can say, if we mm-hmm. take some of our resources and focus it on the biggest problem and make a difference, yeah, not solve it, but make a difference, that's worth doing. If you had a totally flat, you know, it's it was just individuals doing ransomware, right. <laughs> you would never say, let's take 5% of Cyber Command and focus it on, I don't know, let's flip Dimitri a coin. <laughs> in particular, right? <laughs> you know, there's one guy in Siberia, you know, make so his think- life miserable. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think there's a justification from what it's good for and also a justification mm-hmm. based on, you know, actually making a difference as well. Right. And I, I think do you buy that? even I, I do. And I would go further. I say that there's actually a benefit in having your cyber teams, cyber operating on doing real world, yes, getting real world absolutely. practice. Yeah. Practice, but also this, this sort of operation that they're going to be doing or that they are doing or that they should be doing is different from military cyber, right? And so I think that it's good for them to have some experience in things other than turning off the grid or making the (laughs) um, air defense system stop working, right? Right, the theoretical attacks that mostly never happen. Right, so this would be sort of a more nuanced thing of like, how can we disrupt this group of civilian actors doing this activity? What are the levers that we have to change their behavior or to impact them. And I think it's good to have that as a, I mean, in theory, it should be a thought exercise that they can then find some options and then actually go and do it, get feedback and say, oh, that doesn't work. Right? Yep. We were wrong. We should actually be doing this. Because I, I think if you're going to practice, you may as well practice on criminals that are not helping anyone but themselves. Yeah, and I think right? you know, I mean, fundamentally the the techniques you are using are the same. You may not use the exact same capabilities. Uh-huh. You know, you're not going to give away your gold-plated tools against criminals, but the way you do operations is basically the same. Right. So one thing I do agree with, you started off with the VX Underground tweet that lists a whole lot of events. Certainly, I would agree mm-hmm. that it doesn't seem like whatever governments have done has made much difference. Uh-huh. It's hard to know, of course. Uh, are they even being disrupted? And what does yeah. an undisrupted ecosystem look like? Yeah. But anyway, what does it, a, what, what's the indication of a disrupted cyber attack? 
Well, you don't see it. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. (laughs) Look at all all the ones we didn't see. We're winning. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, what's the next point? Okay, so that that was Chris's thing coming out. And this sort of prompted JD to point out why he believes it hasn't worked in a way that the... JD JD work. JD work. I think he's at Columbia, is is that right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, he's got a, an extensive history with like intelligence and cyber threat intelligence. And, you know, now he's doing the academia to try and bring cyber and intelligence to academia stuff. So, yeah, so JD works points are sort of, if there were these cyber experts saying that we would stop ransomware once and forever with offensive cyber, here is why they are wrong. So... First of all, the way that this was envisioned was as a persistent engagement operation, which means that we would be constantly operating against these threats. It wouldn't be like one action here or there, uh, moving at the speed of, and I'm quoting here, single actions under straitjacket of judicial (laughs) proceedings at the pace of lawyers' paperwork. (laughs) That's one way of putting it, like basically doing one-offs at the speed with which you can get like judicial oversight and lawyer sign off. Like that's not, that's not the persistent engagement that was envisioned. Um, Second of all, uh, he's basically saying that offensive cyber doesn't have a deterrence effect because it doesn't, right? Like you can, you can deter the people that you actually attack, but not their friends. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about that is that if you're mucking around with a target, you're making their life difficult. (laughs) Making someone's life difficult doesn't deter anyone. Like, oh, they're having a terrible time because their computer doesn't work. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's, um, I mean, like, if if you tell me that your visa's been declined, your uh, dinner reservations with your wife were mysteriously mislaid, you've got... 20 pizzas that showed up last night and you know the actual food that you ordered didn't show up two days later i think that's funny i mean like <laughs> I, I sympathize but i'm not going to be like gee i better avoid whatever it is that made that happen i'm going to be like Dude, they got you good <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? I thought it might be worth mentioning the couple <clears throat> of examples i can think of that <clears throat> we know of so Someone in the U.S. government, maybe it was Cyber Command, I'm not sure, did something against Revil, mm-hmm. and that seemed to spook them for a little time. There was the mm-hmm. FBI action against Hive, mm-hmm. um, where they were had compromised the admin panel and were giving out keys, mm-hmm. and then were able to recover right. some cryptocurrency. And ASD has spoken about disrupting a particular vendor of... Uh, malware <laughs> because they were targeting the Australian government. So that was the priority there. <laughs> right. Um, so that's right. not ransomware, but maybe we'll talk about it later. But it's a good example of how governments think about these right. um, actions. So there there have been things that have been done. Well, I, I, I kind of agree. They don't seem an ongoing campaign. They seem like mm-hmm. point actions. Yeah. And I, I think that that, I mean, that might be a real point. Maybe there isn't 5% of Cyber Command dedicated exclusively to conducting these sort of operations. Maybe it's more of a, a thing that comes up when the priority queue selects it. Maybe it's not treated as a tier one threat that needs to be addressed constantly. 
which to be fair, it's probably not if you're the US. It's a threat, but you probably want to be more worried about nation state peers to begin with and then criminal actors sort of afterwards. That, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, I think it's difficult. I could argue either way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, if yeah. I was to argue for it, I would, I would, I think 5% of Cyber Command, I think I may have said that at the beginning of the podcast, yeah. but I think that's extreme number. I think right. having a dedicated team seems reasonable. Right. <laughs> what I percentage would... of Cyber Command is that? Uh, probably not yeah. that much. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. I, mean, no, like, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think that... The, the, I think this is the thing is you you could argue the point either way like it it's not it's not cut and dried like obviously criminals are not a thing that should ever take priority over anything else but it it is entirely reasonable for a government organization to devote some capacity even if it's you know a team out of well, a thousand I mean, people if they put three of them on it well I mean I think fundamentally you've got a criminal problem and you need people to tackle it and so if it was just domestic you would say well we've got the apparatus in place we've got Mm -hmm. the fbi we've got local law enforcement job done because it presents particular problems do we need different tools is the fbi on its own enough or do we need offensive actions Um, right there's that i think as i've argued there are actual benefits to doing it yep so I, i don't think i don't think it's wasted capacity so to speak, right? It's not like you're, you're, you know, sending these guys to go and, you know, collect headlight fluid or uh, get, <laughs> paint, you know, paint go and rocks. get a long stand. <laughs> right? You know, it, it's actually a, a useful thing that's being done. But I, I also think that ransomware is part of a uh, Russian grand strategy of weakening the West. And this might not be a conscious and deliberate effort, but I believe that that's the effect that it has because um, by effectively doing raids, right? Like ransomware is basically a raiding thing. You go out, you trash stuff, you loot and you take some money and then, you know, you leave them alone to do their thing until you come back later, right? It's not a, you're not going in and like um, occupying territory. You're just going in, you're smashing stuff, looting and going on. So raiding operations are done for a couple of reasons. One is that they delegitimize the political authorities, right? Because your role as the U.S. government is to protect your citizens to some degree. That's why you pay for an army. That's why you pay for the police force. That's why you pay to have cyber command. Like the point is that these things are there to protect the U.S. and in particular the U.S. economy and, and, you know, so on. Therefore, raids are a threat to this because they say your government, it's taking your money and giving you nothing in return. Like it's not actually stopping us. Like we're able to do whatever we want. And so that leads to some delegitimization of the political powers because as a taxpayer, if I get ransomware and no relief and all that happens is the FBI says, if you paid ransom, we're going to arrest you. Um, so You're I, not going to look favorably on it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was sort of wondering in my head if there's some targets that, are, to me, are clearly worthy of responding. So the Colonial Pipeline incident, mm-hmm. I think that reaches a bar where 
I think you use all the tools you have to try and stop those kinds of incidents. I think there's others like hospitals Mm -hmm. where, again, the moral outrage, I guess, in me would demand a response. Now, if ransomware criminals stuck to casinos and (laughs) industries of sin, I would be, yeah, okay. Those sectors, I think, make enough money that they can afford to... Right, they can afford to pay the occasional ransom and invest money in protecting themselves. Yeah, I don't think anyone's dying because they can't get money in or out of a slot machine. And so (laughs) that seems to me to be fine. And, uh, And, you know, can you use offensive actions to shape ransomware targets? Probably a little bit. I, I wouldn't yeah. be confident that it would make all that much difference. But I think that may be part of the metric you use to target. You know, if there's a, mm-hmm. a group that is beyond the pale and just targeting, well, targeting hospitals relentlessly, I it would is. say we should do something about that. Right. Again, there's an argument to be made there on the, like, can you shape, well, that's a hypothesis. Let's test it. Yeah. Right. Like, I, th- I think that that's a valid approach to take as well. It's like, I think you cannot. And maybe you can, or maybe you can buy a lot more than you suspect, or maybe a lot less than you suspect. There's no way to know except actually doing it and then trying different ways of shaping that. And again, that's useful information to collect. It's just, it's good to know. Well, if it works, it's great. Well, if it doesn't work, that's also good to know because then you can use that to inform future operations where someone's like, all we need to do is, you know, shape the environment with these things. And you're like, well... You know, <laughs> you say that, but so yeah, but I, like I'm, I'm all in favor of it. One of the things that we discussed before was that while I, I am in favor of it, I do think that the, the side effect is that the groups that sort of survive will be more secure, right? So they will, so like when you attempt these things, the enemy will respond they will learn to have better security practices to do better vetting or whatever the thing is that, you know, when they get compromised this way, they will learn to protect against that. And eventually some of them will be hard targets or harder targets. And on the one hand, I think that that's not great. Training the opposition's um, talent pool of cyber operators how to defend and what operations from you know, the West look like. That's maybe not ideal. I don't disagree with the idea that they would get better at being resilient and security. I just think that that would actually slow them down. So it's <laughs> still, still a win, you know, like the, yeah. the goal <laughs> is to reduce the amount of ransomware. Um, and if they're spending and, all their time typing in uh, OTP authentications <laughs> and trying to remember 30 character passwords. <laughs> I, I mean, like just working in an organization that really cared, it takes time and effort. And so that's right. time and effort. You're mm-hmm. not ransomwaring some new organization. So that's, right. I think the state we want is just reducing the amount. Right, um, right. So that's... I think that that's an acceptable trade-off. I mean, we'll have to see if it ever happens, I suppose. Right. So one of the points that JD makes is that the only cyber deterrence that is expected to work against these sort of actors is resilience. So let me get the exact phrase. It's deterrence by vulnerability reduction. 
Right. So if you deter them because they can't actually attack you, then that works. Yeah, the other phrase I've heard more commonly is deterrence by denial. And it's just, uh, I, I guess I would translate that as deterrence by improving your security. <laughs> Get good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's right. But I also think that's not a thing that's going to happen for a couple of reasons. One is with increased complexity become increased attack surface, it's going to get harder and harder. But the the ultimate problem here is that you have businesses that are doing things with lots of money, and there are criminals who are using either offensive cyber tools to get them to transfer money. But even if ransomware goes away, we would still have BEC and it would probably be a bigger threat because there'd be more people operating on it. So the argument I've heard is that Across the whole economy, there's just too many organizations. So mm -hmm. any single organization can improve their security. But when the whole economy is vulnerable, it's just not practical in any reasonable time frame. And so right. I guess the optimistic solution is that we are slowly improving security everywhere. Mm -hmm. The offensive cyber actions are in a way a stopgap to try and buy us a bit of time. Not They're going to have it. to buy many decades of time. Yeah, like I said, that yeah. was the optimistic answer. Right. The other thing I thought might be worth mentioning is that when ASD tackled a particular type of malware, the way mm -hmm. that they did it was they understood the ecosystem, mm -hmm. who was selling it, how they were selling it, and they figured out, a couple of places where they could destroy this person's reputation. So it wasn't a highly visible mm -hmm. press release worthy da -da event. Right. It was poisoning their reputation on forums, yep. getting some access to their, I guess it was the malware build and introducing errors that would be visible to other people. And then, right. So reducing a, the quality of the software that was being delivered so that people were the, yeah, the yeah, quality yeah. issues that people complain about plus yeah so it destroyed yeah. that person's reputation so i guess in right. the ransomware ecosystem it might be something like introducing a vulnerability in the encryption so that then right you would it, be able people, to release yeah, can keys decrypt without right yeah. so it, and there are a tremendous number of ransomware variations where that does happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it does make you think, particularly since it's so easy to get like an open source disk encryption software package and just <laughs> have the key sent here as opposed to stored locally, right? Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, Grok. <laughs> <laughs>